Take your Bibles and we'll look at the book of Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible. Some believe it was written at the same time as the Pentateuch, which is, of course, uh, the oldest section of the Bible. We're going to look at Job chapter 11 and verse 12, and we're just going to read one phrase. Job chapter 11, verse 12. <clears throat> Job 11, verse 12. Boy, the life of Job is something, you know. To think about when we complain, and, and not that any of you have complained, but if you have, you have to think, man, if I look at the life of Job who lost it all, you know, uh, they say the hardest thing is for a mother to bury her own kids, and they had to bury all theirs. Uh, one of our ladies, it just slipped my mind, she moved on to Georgia, Atlanta area. She, several of her sons had, help me, what's her name? Sat back there with you, Sister Betty. Several of her sons died of a heart attack. Oh. Huh? Alice. How I forgot Alice. But, uh, in, you know, just to experience that pain. It's hard to lose a loved one. And uh, Job lost his kids. Lost everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, you lose your house in a fire and you don't have insurance. That's traumatic and financially a setback. But losing a family member... That's pretty traumatic. And Job just experienced so much. And his friends turned on him. His own wife said, just curse God. Why in the world would you care about God anymore? Have you been there? We've all had that question. God, you know, why? And, uh, and Job stood strong. What a great example. Job chapter 12, 11, verse 12. We're going to just read a phrase. Stand with me. We're going to leave, leave just... We'll read the second half. We'll read the whole verse. For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Though man be born like a wild ass's colt. God, just hide me behind the cross. And tonight we just look at uh, man and, 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 and the, the way we are chained by sin and, and our sinful nature and all the other things we're going to talk about tonight that we're, you know, at a crossroads in life and we go through all these phases and just to help us to see ourselves in the passages and realize we all need to draw closer to you. I pray you hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Man is born like a wild ass's colt. Look at chapter 5 of Job in verse 7. Talk about several things. I have six points I want to make. First of all, we were chained by sin. We were chained by sin. Job chapter 5 and verse 7, it says here, Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Yeah. You know, I mean, man is, we're just... We're, we're born for trouble because we're born with a sinful nature, even from the womb. I, I was looking at Justin's little baby today, and I said, my dad used to say, get some rocks and rock her to sleep. Uh, but, but I know they wouldn't do that. But they're already little sinners. Now, we don't want to recognize that, not my child. But, you know, they cry because they want to be picked up, not because there's anything wrong. And Jacob and Esau fought inside the womb. We know that the moment they're conceived, sin begins to reign in their life until someone else reigns in their life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But we're born like a wild ass's colt and we're unbroken. And really, the truth is, everyone is at some point in their life unbroken until the Lord breaks us. One of the great introductions to a Bible passage I've ever read is, is I posted on my website, my pastor's introduction to the life of Jacob. 
And he talked about being at a train station, seeing a man get off the train after World War II and how he could barely move because he had been injured in the war. And then he, he talked about Jacob and Jacob had no doubt a sciatic nerve problem. His hip was out of joint and God touched him. And after God touched him, he walked different, but he walked broken. And we all have to come to a place in our life where God just breaks us. While we don't like it, we need to be broken. And sometimes we need to be broken again. Um, we're going to look at several passages now. Proverbs chapter 5, and we're going to jump around like we do on Sunday nights. Proverbs 5, 22. Then we'll go to Psalm 73. But, you know, we're, we're chained and, and, and we're broken people. But prior to that, we're chained and we need to be broken. Chapter 5, verse 22 says, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. And before you're saved, you're chained. And here it says, And he shall be holden with cords of his sin. Without Christ, you're a slave to sin. You're chained. Uh, and you need to be set free from that. But you, you also need to be broken by the Lord. Then look at Psalm 73, 6 again about this matter of being chained. Psalm chapter 73. Verse 6. <clears throat> It says here, therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Pride's a terrible thing. In fact, pride is the one thing that makes everybody around you sick. And you're the only one not sick. But everybody's sick but you because you're compassed about with pride and you don't realize it. Years ago, I was a meat market manager. I know that goes back a long way. I always talk about my experiences. I had 17 people working for me. We sold $100,000 of meat in a week and $25,000 a day. And this is back in 1980. I was at the little store down there on the corner of Chickamauga Avenue and 2A. You know, it's now it's a, a by-low and nothing's low at by-low. But I, I remember there and I had people that were working for me. And it really irritated me if they didn't do everything exactly the way I wanted them to do it. I wanted them to cut meat a certain way, trim fat a certain way, package it a certain way. And I got so bad, I know one of the ladies there said I was really hard to work for. And uh, she said it with tears in her eyes because I was demanding everything my way. And I realized I had become a control freak. Pride had gotten a hold of me. And I was a young guy, I was in my 20s. This 40 years ago. And I was hard to work for because I was a perfectionist. I wanted that case so perfect. Now my superiors really liked my work, but people who worked under me said, man, you're a real control freak. I mean, breaks had to be at a certain time and I was so organized with everything. And I kind of felt like I owned the store. And when she said it to me with tears, her name was Vicki. Vicki Stevens was her name. She's deceased now. It really, really bothered me because she wasn't seeing Christ in my life. She was seeing an impatient, angry, controlling, proud man. Now, I always give you my bad side, right? But years later, I saw her again and, and she was just uh, very, very ill. But we, we had we ended up having a good relationship there. I mean, she's a lot older than I was. But but it was her and another elderly lady that said to me, uh, uh, she's about 60 at the time. And she said, you are difficult. Every package, this sticker's not perfect on it. And you know, it's hard to work under that kind of environment. Pride is a terrible thing. 
And if you are a control freak and you think everything's got to be under your grip and your control, you got a problem with pride. And control freaks are always struggling with pride. They're big, massive egos. They're never wrong. And they got to get even. They got to prove their point. Don't be like Dan Mao of 1980, okay? Realize that not everybody's the same as you and people sometimes have good intentions and you give them a pass. But, but I, I see so many things. So many Christians are controlled even after they're saved. They're controlled by the chains of pride. And we look at first, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, of course, none of you are ever guilty of anything I preach against. I know it's just me. But uh, get so quiet that I know some of you realize that you've been that way a time or two. Um, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, it says this. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that it may please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. No man gets so entangled. Sometimes we're so entangled with the things of this world. They've got control of us. And we're not what we ought to be because we're so entangled. Look at verse 26 of chapter 2. In fact, <clears throat> the word entangled is an interesting word, and, and you know what that means, but Entangled with the affairs, it's the word pragmatic. It's translated occupy. We're so occupied with this life in this world, it, it, it's nauseating to God because we're just passing through. We have to trust the Lord. But look at verse 26, 24 through 26. And this really convicts me. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Patient. Now, this isn't just about pastors. All our aged men, our elders, our decision makers need to be patient and not strive with anyone. Now, I had planned this message about two months ago. Whenever you preach something, you think, all right, who's thinking I'm picking on them? I'm not. This was in my text, these notes I've had. But the fact of the matter is, it convicts me that I have to be gentle and not strive with people. My old nature, boy, I'll tell you what, it's not good, neither is yours. And we're not careful, but the bad side is seen and we have to just hold on and just think, well, Lord, I don't want to be that way. But look what it says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure, we will give repentance to the acknowledgement of, of the truth. Look at verse 26. And that he may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. We have to be careful. Because as believers, we can be caught up in a snare. We can be chained with pride. And uh, the, years ago, I, uh, <clears throat> I joined a mission board and they said, you know, absolutely no way my wife could ever wear pants. And she didn't for the entire 19 years we were with the board. And pants, they said, were sinful and masculine and all that stuff. And I thought, wow, I never saw that in the Bible. It was in second opinions, though, but it wasn't in the Bible. And uh, so we knew there were missionaries that wore pants. And so I inquired, well, they're serving in Alaska and they're in North America and they're in these cold places. And I thought, so it's not sinful in these cold places to wear men's clothing. I just thought that was so hypocritical. Not talking, picking on the board, but I was kind of under this stress of all of this. And uh, I inquired, I said, well, my mother is a godly woman, but 
she wears slacks. And I was told my mother wasn't taught properly. I said, well, what passage? Well, Genesis, they said, or excuse me, Exodus, where they said, thou shalt not wear men's clothing. I said, well, I know what that's talking about. That's not what that means. And I said, but the next verse says not to wear wool and polyester. And you're wearing that right now, but you're trying to apply something to my mother. And he said, she just wasn't taught right. And he implied that she wasn't a good Christian. And I was 23 and I really wanted to come across the desk and strangle him. And my mother's the godliest woman I ever known. And where we grow up, if you didn't wear pants in the wintertime, guess what? If you had a car problem, you're gonna get frostbit. We never heard that up north and no missionary in Canada had to wear dresses all the time or Alaska because it's too cold. But you know what? We were chained to something while I admire, let me stop and pause. I admire people who have a conviction to wear or not wear certain things. The Bible teaches we're to cover ourselves. I admire, you know, my mother-in-law, I never saw her wear slacks. I did see my mom wear slacks. I admired both women greatly. Great, my mother-in-law was wonderful, my mom was wonderful. So I'm not critical of anyone who has that conviction in their life. What I'm saying is if you allow legalism and change to control you, you're missing a freedom. The Holy Spirit gives us our convictions. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 13? Let him that is convicted in something not judge him that's not, and vice versa. Paul uses, uses the example of meat, doesn't he? Some people wouldn't eat meat. Paul said, if they feel that way, good for them, but they shouldn't judge the meat eaters. And he said to the meat eaters, the same thing to you. If you, you eat meat, don't judge those that don't. And we have to understand, we all have personal convictions and they're personal to us, but they don't apply to other people unless the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And that's a challenging thing. Now, in this church, I, I mean, we've had, you know, the freedom to, to, to dress as long as we dress modestly, to dress in a way we feel that the Holy Spirit's led us. I always say, cover yourselves in modest apparel. That's what the Bible says. That's what I'm going to preach. Um, I, I don't like to see women ill-clad, half-dressed. I mean, it's just, you know, a bad, and, and especially if it happens in a church. And so it's going to bother me. And, and that's a standard we need to have. Cover yourselves in modest apparel, right? That's what the Bible says. But when it comes to some of these choices and decisions, we have to be careful that we don't judge other people. And it irritated me that my mom was judged, you know, uh, and if, if, if someone had said the same thing on the other side of the coin, that women should all wear pants and said anybody who doesn't wear pants, they're a legalist, I'd have said the same thing to them. You're out of line. My mother-in-law is one of the godliest women I know. So you see, we can be on either side of that, but it's how we deal with those who differ that matters to God. So many things, I, I told someone the other day, I love Harold Thrower really, really a lot. I think he knows that. It's not because he's a great music director. And I'm not saying he's not. That doesn't, isn't the important thing to me. He does a great job, that's not my point. My point is, you know what I really like about him? He's always positive. Even if I wanna dump a little negativity on him, I can see his eyes go, oh brother, let's be positive. You know, I love that. I, I love his spirit. 
And I think it's so important for all of us to examine our hearts because we can be saved and still be bound with chains of pride and, and controlling things in our life. And on both sides, whether it's sin or whether it's even another Christian that's put us under a bondage, you know there are even people who are so cultic in churches, it's scary. Now over in Hebrews chapter 13, let me show you something here. And here's where it starts. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Here it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. You say, what's the Greek? The Greek, the Greek is obey them that have rule over you, for they watch for your souls. You know? And pastors sometimes take a verse like that, which means you should obey your pastor when he preaches against sin or tells you something wrong in your life. You should submit to that. But how many times have we seen a pastor take something like that and use it to bind people and to control everything? You know what I'm talking about? And there's times you're going to have to say to your pastor, I hope you never have to say it to me, but if I'm asking you to do things that are extreme and wrong, Harold, I hope you say, Pastor, that's unscriptural. I'm not going to fall under that kind of control. So even a pastor can become controlling. And I even have people in my life that years ago, I remember the controlling way they were. If I'd see them today, I'd get nervous because am I just the way I need to be? Yeah. I walked in a business office at Tennessee Temple. And I love Tennessee Temple. Don't get me wrong. And I don't remember what shirt I had on, but he said, that looks like a woman's blouse. Now, it was a man's shirt, but I think it had a ruffle or a stitch or something on it that was a little fancy. And I was as masculine a guy as you'd want to meet, and I just wanted to throw him on the floor. I want to throw a lot of people on the floor, don't I? And uh, I was just like, what in the world? I, I'm trying hard to live for the Lord, and all this guy's doing is discouraging me. It's been that way about so many things over the years, and I'm going back over a long, long life of Christianity, okay? I was saved when I was 12 in my bedroom, so we're talking 54, almost 54 years. That's a lot of time with Christ. But in all the experiences I've had like that, I've had so many wonderful experiences, so I don't want you to misunderstand. But you cannot, after you're saved, be controlled by things outside of what? The Holy Spirit. He needs to control you, not some high pressure legalistic leader in your church, not sin, not things you've been taught that aren't in the scripture. You need to be free in Christ, but you're never free to sin. So we were chained and some people can continue to be chained. Then we're Christless. Ephesians 2.12 says we were without hope. You're without hope. Without the Lord, you're without hope. And Romans 1.31 says we were without understanding. When you don't know Christ, you don't understand. You ever talk to someone in the world and they're so mixed up, and you're like, why do people believe that? Well, how could someone believe that? Well, they don't know the Lord. The things that are obviously wrong to us, they don't get it. You know, I mean, go and, you know, we have these organizations that go and burn down cities and smash windows, and there are people who educated people, some of them politicians. That's not a compliment, by the way. But they say, oh, they're doing right to express themselves. One politician said, I'm going to take Trump out. None of the liberal media complained about that. And I'm not getting into the Democrat Republican thing. I'm saying that was just wrong to say I'm going to take Trump out. That means to kill him. 
Nothing's done about that. Our country's gone so far. New York City, they are allowing murderers to go out without bond and trust them to come back for their day in court. So, I mean, we're without hope. We're without understanding. We're without strength in Romans 5, 6. Take someone who's lost. Do they really know how to cope with the problems of this world? It's sad when you go to a hospital and you see someone like Johnny and Johnny's doing pretty good on the day I go to see him maybe. And then you go to the next room and someone's sobbing and you stick your head in there and they don't know the Lord. And you listen and you talk and you think, this is very sad. People need the Lord. They're without hope, without strength. They don't know how to deal with the pressures of this world and they're hopeless and they're without strength and understanding why? Because they're Christless. People are chained. People are Christless. People are at a crossroads. Look at Matthew chapter 7. People are also at a crossroads. Matthew chapter 7. Thirteen and fourteen. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is a gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that follow it, or that find it. People are lost, and they're making the wrong choice. You need to enter the narrow gate. I mean, the road to destruction is wide. The whole world's going to hell. I mean, you can read the stats. There were times when 60 to 70% of Americans, I guess 30 years ago, went to church. That's way, way down. And then you, you look in churches. Do you know, I, someone told me the day, I think one or two churches in this whole North Georgia area are actually growing. It's scary to see that, that uh, people are drifting out of church. Yeah. I meet people all the time. Oh yeah, I did go to church. Had a wonderful family here this morning. Lloyd and I visited him on Wednesday. They hadn't been to church in years. They came Sunday. They liked it. They came back this morning. We had a good visit. I think they're going to keep coming. But they hadn't been there in years. What happened? Well, no one in the church cared enough to go visit them. No one in the church cared to pray for them. I mean, we can just sit back if we want to and realize people can just let them make the wrong choice and not, not confront them and say, you need to make the right choice. I love Joshua 24, 15. It said, choose this day whom you will serve. We make choices. You make a choice when you go to work to either serve the Lord while you're at work or listen to the world. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. And I know we're almost out of time, but I've got a few more things to say here. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15. Here, verse 19 actually, 30, 19, it says here, I call heaven and earth, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. People make choices. They can choose to go to hell. That's a terrible choice. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. What does that mean? Well, we're close to the door when we're lost. It's just a simple step of faith to put our trust in Christ. But why does Jesus call himself the door? Well, that's a metaphor. He's not the wood back there. He's not hanging on those hinges. But remember the Passover? You remember he stands in the doorway? And, and we know the type there of they smote the side post, smote the head post, the blood poured. It's a type of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. And you have to go through the door, the cross, to be saved. We're close to that. 
And uh, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish. People tell me, well, God, uh, you know, you can't trust in the Lord unless you're chosen. And you think, well, what's happened to whosoever will? And, and God's not willing that any should perish. So we're, we're close to the door. And then we're crucified with Christ. And I'm trying to move quickly, but Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I love 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. And I'll turn there quickly. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 says here, <clears throat> For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Are we willing to be crucified with Christ? Can we be like Christ? Harold mentioned the word Christian. It means Christ-like. Everybody says they're a Christian. But by your fruits you shall know them. Are they Christ-like? And then finally, we're the caretakers of the gospel. Romans 10, 14, and 15. How shall they hear without a preacher? And did you know everyone of you is called to preach? You're not called the pastor. That's a different thing. A lot of people call me preacher, and I always say, well, really, it's pastor. I have a specific call by God. I believe with all my heart. You know, like Jonah, the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me in my trailer and guided me to make a decision to follow the Lord and be a preacher, to pastor and start churches. But we're all called to preach the gospel. You ever want to use a preacher of the gospel? A pastor, or the other words, is the word bishop. We don't use that much today because some denominations use it and they misuse it. But technically, biblically, I'm also called a bishop. It means to oversee. And a bishop's supposed to be a teacher. But everyone's supposed to be a preacher. And we're given, we're caretakers of the gospel. We'll close with Romans chapter 3 and verse 2. Romans chapter 3 and verse 2, as we look at the fact that we're caretakers, and we know that Israel, the Jews, were caretakers of what? The law. Romans chapter 3, verse 2. What advantage hath the Jew in verse 1, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. What happened? God entrusted the Jew with the law. And that Old Testament, they had it for 4,000 years. And up until the time of, you know, the silent years, there was 400 years God didn't speak to Israel, but they still had the oracles in the silent years. After the last prophet prophesied for 400 years, they still had it all. And they were responsible to take good care of it and to obey it and to spread the truth. And they failed. In the New Testament, same principle. God gives us his word. Thank God for it. And he said, preach it. And we fail. Because the Great Commission is reaching everyone with the gospel. And I've said before, and you know this, that if every Christian just won one person and discipled one person, the Great Commission would have been finished a long time ago. But it's not, because we don't witness. I want to be broken by God and unbroken from the control of the world. I don't want to be in chains of pride or sin. I want to be free in Christ. Not free to sin, but I want freedom, and I want to use that freedom to please Him in everything I do. I want to be a blessing to everyone. I pray and pray faithfully for this church and for you, and just pray that God will guide me and use me and direct me to be what I ought to be first and to say what I need to say when I get up here. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for the wonderful people we have here, the joy to be a pastor here, Lord, speak to hearts and help us as 
We know the devil wants to get in here and ruin this church, but Lord, we just want to plot on and just continue to plot, be plotters for you, to be faithful in everything we do. Thank you for the wonderful people you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.